Let's give the Lord some praise here today. Come on, lift your hands, lift your hearts, and let's praise Him. Come on, let's worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we magnify you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are you excited about being in conference today? Somebody shout hallelujah. This is our day. Turn around to somebody near you and say, this is our day. A lot of problems in the world, a lot of issues. According to the headlines today, 90 million people are out of the workforce in the United States of America. It's difficult times, but this is our time. Praise the Lord. We're not running from this time. I believe that God has fitted his church and conditioned his church for this hour. And I believe that we can expect the greatest apostolic revival of all times between now and the rapture of the church. Let's lift our hands and thank God for what he means to us here today. In Jesus' name. I'm so happy to be at this meeting. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much, Brother Mayo, and all of those involved in the uh, planning of this meeting. I want to say to all of the men of God that have gone before in this meeting, I appreciate the depth of the Word of God that we have heard. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And it just seemed like that there was a sowing of the seed. And then last night we saw the fruition of that seed already. And uh, there, is a, there is a unique depth to this meeting that I really appreciate. I believe God is using this meeting to prepare us for even greater things. Can you say amen? amen. And... Uh, I would would be remiss if I did not mention the fact that uh, the uniqueness of the speakers in this meeting has to do with the fact that it's been fathers and sons. And I don't know that I've ever been to such a meeting as this where it was so consistently adhered to, but uh, I uh, I have been so deeply impressed with the elder and also the younger in every circumstance that have come to this pulpit. Praise God. And as I look around the landscape of the apostolic movement and I see young men with fire in their heart and with vision in their eyes and with a spring in their steps, courage and conviction in their heart, I want to tell you the church of tomorrow will be in good hands. I believe that with all of my heart. I love and appreciate the young men that are coming along. I've never been able yet to get my mind around the idea that I'm an elder. Several years ago when I was pastoring in Baton Rouge, 
I got a phone call from uh, a young man that pastored 40 or 50 miles away, and he said, Brother Young, I want you to come and preach two or three nights for me. I didn't know the man, and uh, I wondered why he had chosen me. And uh, so, of course, I said, I'll be happy to do that. We arranged the date, and I went over and preached either two or three nights for him, and then he told me at the end of the meeting, he said, Now, Brother Young, he said, I believe that we younger men need an elder in our lives. I said, you know, I agree with that. And I, I, I was thinking, now, can I find me an elder? And, uh, and so I've had a hard time getting my mind around that. And I want to say to all of these young men, I'm one of you. Everybody say praise the Lord. While you're standing, I want to invite your attention to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Would you say praise the Lord for the word? Reach over to somebody near you, if it's appropriate, lay your hand on them. Let's pray and ask the Holy Ghost to move in this service. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would stretch forth your hand, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about the state of readiness. Everybody say readiness. State of readiness. I was reading the Word of God. I was not studying for a message nor a Bible study. I was reading God's Word from a devotional standpoint because there is so much strength and so much inspiration that we receive from God's Word. As I, I was reading the Word of the Lord, I came to this particular verse of Scripture, verse 6 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And I, of course, like many of you, have read this particular passage of Scripture hundreds of times, many times. So I read speedily through this verse and several verses, but all of a sudden, I felt like something reached out and pulled me back and uh, drew my attention to the first clause of verse 6, where the apostle said, For I am now ready. I want you to say that with me. 
I am now ready. I am now ready. It impresses me with the fact that the apostle did not say, I have full intentions to become ready. He didn't say, I hope that somehow I am able to be ready. But with confidence and with conviction, the apostle said, I am now ready. I want to talk to you seriously for a few minutes here this morning. There is nothing more important in any of our lives than being ready for the day that the Apostle Paul is speaking about. You can push that day ahead and push that day ahead and push things out of the way and try to play the game of forgetting, but in the not too far distant future, every one of us are gonna have to face God. I want that thought to sink deeply into your heart. I knew a gentleman several years ago that uh, contracted the terrible condition of cancer. And upon his discovering cancer, the doctor told him, he said, if we had gotten to this sooner, uh, I could have given you a lot of hope. But he said, uh, I'm not in the business of playing games with people. And he said, I want to be honest with you. And I think that's what you want me to be. The man said, I do. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the cancer in your body has progressed uh, to the extent that there is absolutely nothing that can be done for you. He said, uh, at the very most, you have weeks to live. But he said, uh, to be more exact, you probably have days to live. And uh, so this gentleman was placed in the hospital. And his body was reeking with pain. Uh, the terrible news that had just jolted him had put everything in his system in reverse. And... Uh, the several days that he had remaining in his life, and he did pass away within a matter of just a few days. But the last several days of this man's life, Brother Mayo, he spent with a phone glued to his ear. He was making long-distance phone calls to New York State, to Florida, to California, to Indiana, to New Mexico, to Arizona, to Colorado. He was making phone calls all over the country. And when he would get the person that he was trying to reach on the line, he would say something like this. This is brother so-and-so. I just want to call you and tell you that uh, back some time ago, something happened. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to ask your forgiveness. Uh, I, I want to I make this right. And I was told that this gentleman spent the last few hours of his life with that phone in his ear calling people. And uh, there was always somebody yet to be called. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to live that kind of life. I'm not here to pin any bouquets, but I want to tell you, every one of us are going to have to face God. 
We're in this meeting primarily for the business and for the purpose of being ready to meet God. If you are not ready to meet God, then the question is begged, why are you not ready? Why do you delay in getting ready to meet God? Why do you push that event way off into the future? It is so incumbent on every one of us to stop at this very moment where we are and take inventory of our lives and our heart and ask ourselves the question, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? I think if I had but one message to preach and I knew that I would never preach another message, I think I would preach the message that I propose to share with you today. I, I introduced to you a man that did not come up to this moment in his life with any trepidation. He did not come up to this moment in, in his life having put things over on the side and buried them and forgot about them. He did not come up to this moment in his life by living recklessly and indifferently and casually and unconcerned. But when the Apostle Paul came to this moment, he said with confidence, I am now ready. Can somebody say praise the Lord. I think he was saying, I am emotionally ready. I am spiritually ready. I am physically ready. There's nothing that is standing between me and my God. I am ready to step from this place on earth into the eternal presence of an all-knowing and all-wise God. I am now ready to meet my Lord. I don't have any other jobs to be done. I have nothing left to reach for. I have nothing else to do. I am now ready to meet God. But he didn't make just a casual statement. He validated that statement when he said, I am now ready by, by sharing with us three very significant principles that prove that he is ready. He said, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Can somebody shout hallelujah? What is the Apostle Paul saying when he said, I have fought a good fight? I think first of all, he was saying, I have not fooled around with peripheral issues that were of no significance. But the fights that I've been involved in have been good fights. They were fights that were worth fighting and worth expending energy for. They were good fights. Now I will tell you that, that uh, some fights you, you find yourself involved with, not because you chose them, they just, they just loom in your pathway. We were moving along in Oakland having revival, seeing growth and new people come in. And then I received a piece of mail from the city of Oakland 
that said they were levying a $48,000 fine against our church for our noise. I said, noise in, in Oakland, California? What's up? I mean, uh, there's noise everywhere in this city. But uh, they, they levied that $48,000 fine against us for noise. And it so happened that the people that lived in the apartment behind the church were disturbed at the Pentecostal noise. Now mind you, you can, you can stand in Oakland Tabernacle and close the doors and the windows and you can hear the noise from the Raiders Stadium several miles away with all the doors closed and the windows closed. And you can, on another night, you can hear the high school ball team that's about five blocks away. And uh, you can hear all of that with the, with the doors closed. But now we've got this fight on our hands. What are we going to do? Are we going to close the doors? Oh, no. We can't do that. We've got to fight that fight. Praise God. We're going to have a revival. We've got a resolve to deal with this issue. To make it through this issue. Praise God. And win. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. So you've got that kind of fights that you have to deal with. You didn't ask for them. They just loom in your pathway. But Brother Mayo, there are other, there are other circumstances and situations that uh, loom in your path. And you look the circumstance over. And you say, well, I could get involved in a fight there. But if I... If I fought that fight and I won, I would not have gained anything. That's good. That's that good. battle is not worth fighting. So I think Paul was saying, the fight I've been involved in is a good fight. It's a fight that's worth winning. It's a fight that when I come through on the other side, I'm going to have the laurels of victory in my hand. I'm going to fight to win. I don't only think that Paul was saying the fights that I have been involved in are good fights. I think Paul was saying I really engaged that fight. Man, it was a good fight. Mr. Devil, if you, if you want to fight, bring it on. I'm ready to engage you. I'm ready to mix it with you. I'm ready to have a fight of your life. Praise God. Praise God. Let me tell you something. The apostolic church that has experienced revival did not experience revival without a fight. And somebody had to put everything they had into it and fight to the very end and win. Praise God. The apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Standing at the end of the way, he looks over his life. And he looks at that journey and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have hit the devil hard and I have won. Praise the Lord. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Now, I believe this also involves putting everything that we have into the fight. And that goes for a church service where we put every ounce of energy that we have into that service. We have church to win. 
Can somebody say amen? I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I feel like God is doing something for us right now. Praise God. We didn't come to the house of God today to just sit through another meeting. We're to win a victory. We're to be a winner. Praise God. We're, we're to make a touchdown for the Lord. The apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Praise God. Praise God. But then he said, I have finished my course. Everybody say, I have finished my course. I understand what Paul is saying here. He is talking about the journey of his Christian experience. The journey of his ministry. I have finished my course. And there's a lot to be said for the fact that he didn't check out somewhere along the line. Take a right turn, take a left turn, and, 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 and check out. He said, I finished it. I made it all the way through. Praise the Lord. I made it all the way through. When I, when I thought about that, I remembered in the very revival meeting where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there were a number of other young men received the Holy Ghost in that same revival. And there were four or five of them ultimately said they were called into the ministry and they were going to go into the work of God. Out of that group that uh, said they were called to preach, there was only two that went forward in the ministry. The others turned aside. Paul said, I have finished my course. Everybody say, I have finished my course. Turn aside. But I want you to think of that phrase in a little different light. If you were a student in the university, you were taking a particular course, you're not going to get your certificate of completion until you have finished that course. You don't look at that material for several weeks or a month or so and decide. That's really not where I want to go. I have finished my course. I've learned everything that God wants to teach me. I've learned it. I'm not saying we know it all. But in that particular course that God is putting us through, I have learned those lessons. I've finished them. You know, the problem is too many people have too many started projects in their life that they never do anything with. They never go anywhere with it. They start it, but they never finish it. Let me tell you something. This call of God demands that we give it our all, our everything, and we go all the way through for Him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. You don't go to class one day Walk out of class at the end of the day with your certificate of completion. To finish the course involves faithfulness. It, in, it involves dedication. It involves commitment. It, it involves regularity and going there day after day after day. Praise God. And then after a period of time, when you have 
Finish that course. Your certificate is given you. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight and I have finished my course. I have finished. I didn't quit. I'm not a quitter. I went all the way through. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. And then he said, I have kept the faith. Everybody say, I have kept the faith. Now, as I analyzed this particular phrase of Scripture and I looked at it with close study, I found something that I did not know before. I have read and you have read in Jude verse 3 for the Scripture said, it is needful for you to earnestly contend for what? The faith. Everybody say, the faith. Everybody say, the faith. the faith. And what he is saying in Jude verse 3 is not earnestly contend for that sensational inspiration that we call faith. But he was saying earnestly contend for that body of truth. Everybody say, the body of truth. That entails and involves the entire body of apostolic truth that has been handed down. Paul said, it's needful for me to write unto you that you earnestly contend for the faith. So in my study of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I found that the word or the term, the faith, comes from the very same Greek phrase that the faith in Jude verse 3 is. And so what the Apostle Paul was saying here is I have fought a good fight. I picked my fight well. I got in that fight to win. And I didn't stop until I won the victory. And I have finished my course. And I have kept the faith. That body of truth that was given to me is in my hand. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in my spirit. It's in my very being. Can somebody say amen? amen. I have kept the faith. Yeah. I have not allowed one portion of that body of truth to escape me. But I'm holding on to it. You don't need me to tell you that we live in a strange hour. We really do. People that once believed things no longer believe them. They have taken some kind of a turn away from apostolic truth and they have departed from old-fashioned preaching and teaching. But let me tell you something. This body of truth that was given to us in the very beginning is the thing that's going to have to be in our heart when we stand before God on the other side. And Paul was saying, I haven't turned it loose. I'm hanging on to it. Praise the Lord. I'm hanging on to it. Somebody said, well, if you're going to win people, you're going to have to cave in here and cave in there. I'm going to give you a little example, and I can't use your examples because I don't know them. So pardon me for using a personal example. 
in, in Oakland, we've had a great deal of inner city people. And uh, it uh, troubled me that uh, their lack of comprehension of the message was causing them to live lifestyles that was not really apostolic. And so the Holy Ghost really began dealing with my heart about it. And uh, you're going to have to stop the shout. You're going to have to slow down the aisle running. And you're going to have to do some Bible teaching. Yes, sir. Go through the scripture a verse at a time, a principle at a time, and give a proof text for why we believe what we believe. The response was overwhelming. And... The people were eagerly receiving. And this particular Wednesday night, I was going to do a Bible study on the hair issue. And uh, I was going to involve in that particular issue the matter of a proper apostolic dress. Uh, and what the Word of God teaches about dress. Yeah. And so this particular Wednesday night, now normally at that particular point in our church, we were having about 30 people on Wednesday night. But this particular Wednesday night, uh, I walked out of my study into the church, and there was over 50 people that were there. And I had been in the series for several weeks. And when I stepped to the pulpit, in the door walked a lady, pretty nicely dressed, except for the fact she had on a pantsuit. Now... Please understand, uh, I welcome people to come to our church in that particular garb if they choose to. But when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and become a child of God, things come, become different. So I had, a, I had a little quiver in my heart, Brother Booker, because this lady is a visitor. I've never seen her before. And I want to address this subject uh, in a way that is true to the Word of God. And I don't want to be outrageously offensive. You know what I'm talking about? I want to I say it in the right way. I even thought, Brother Satterwhite, that maybe I'll not preach this tonight. So I quickly resolved in my mind and got something else. But the Holy Ghost wouldn't work with that. Uh, Brother Williams, I didn't get the password for that next sermon. And I just couldn't do it. And uh, I kept coming back to that. So I, I couldn't figure out a diplomatic way to say what I wanted to say. So I just walked into the pulpit and I opened my Bible and I said, now, Ladies and gentlemen, this is what the Word of God teaches about lifestyle and dress and hair for apostolic people and for the people that please God. This is what the Bible teaches. And then I just went one, two, three, right down through it. And when the message was over, the Bible study was over, this lady that was a guest, a visitor, she bounded down the aisle. She was the first one to come to the pulpit. And she grabbed me and hugged my neck. And she said, thank you, Pastor Young, for preaching this. She said, I already knew that, but I just had to have somebody tell me. 
She said, years and years ago, I used to go to a church and my pastor preached exactly what you preached tonight. But she said, I've gotten away from it. Let me tell you something, folks. This is no day for us to get away from anything in the Word of God. It's the time to embrace the Word of God. It's time to get the Word of God in our heart. Oh, come on. Let's shout amen. Let's praise him right now. Let's love him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have kept that body of truth. I have kept that body of truth. Praise the Lord. That's what Paul was saying. I'm ready to face God because I have not compromised the message. I have not altered the message. And while I'm on this particular vein, let me say, there's a lot of people out there, I call them translation mongers. They're trying to find a translation that will leave them with a feeling of security about their compromise. Why don't we be honest with ourselves and come back to the pure, unadulterated Word of God and believe it and embrace it and live it? Praise God. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And I have kept the faith. Praise the Lord. I have kept the faith. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like shouting here today. I feel like praising him right now. I feel like magnifying the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Paul said, from the perspective of where I stand, there's a crown of life that's awaiting on the other side. Let me be honest with you today. I'm not interested in the accolades of men. I'm not interested in somebody shaking my hand and saying, thank you, Brother Young. All of that's nice. Has its place. But I want to, I'm striving for that goal on the other side, that crown of life. I'm wanting to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Praise God. I'm willing to labor in the fight. I'm willing to go through the course. I'm willing to hang on to that body of truth because I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Praise the Lord. And from where I stand, that can't be too far away. I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to stand. I want you to lift your heart to the Lord. I want you to magnify Him right now. I want you to love Him and love Him because of His truth.
Reach over and lay your hand on somebody's shoulder and let's pray together right now. Come on, let's pray together in Jesus' name.